Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Every time I hear that music, it just gets me like, here we go, like, let's go, right? It is good to be together. Special welcome to those joining us online and at other campuses, whether you're at Mayfair, Sherman, or the East Side, I'm glad you joined us. It's Name Tag Sunday, which actually is really fitting with what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be diving into community and some other stuff in scripture. And there's a lot in the five verses that we're going to jump into. So if you have your Bible, your smartphone, study guide, if you want to open up, Go ahead and head there now. We're going to be in Colossians 2, 1 through 5. And as you open up, um, I just want to make sure to introduce my, myself. My name is Tommy. I get the amazing privilege of being on staff here as one of the pastors. Um, I love being able to come to you and bring the word. So I'm excited today as we do that. Um, as you open up your Bible, I kind of want to catch us up on where we are. So in the first chapter of Colossians, we've looked at several different things. Paul, the author, has written about who Jesus is and what he has done. And then has said, in light of that, he's willing to suffer. He believes so much in who Jesus is and what he's done that he's willing to endure hardship. In fact, the verse right before he describes, before we're going to read, he describes, he says, for this, this, I toil, struggling with all energy because he powerfully works within me. So Paul has spent this whole time setting up who Jesus is. And today, the passage we're going to jump into, Colossians 2, 1 through 5, is kind of the first pivot point in the book. Um, So I'm going to read the whole passage. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then afterwards, we're going to walk through verse by verse. We're jumping right in today. So would you follow along as I read? For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches, a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirits, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So what is Paul saying here? What is he saying in these five verses? Well, I want to work through this kind of verse by verse. And I want to start with the first one. So let's look back at verse one, right? So he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle that I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for those who have not seen me face to face. All right, one quick observation, and I think it's worth noting, and it's this. Paul really wants the people to know how great a struggle he has for them. Paul really wants the people to know how great he's struggle he has for them. Now, why is this important? I think it's important for a couple things, and one of them is this. It's who he's talking to, I think, matters, Right? Who you talk to matters. Um, He's actually talking directly to three groups of people. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church in Colossae, right? The name of the book is Colossians. He's talking to the church in Laodicea, which that was a church about 10 miles away from Colossians. We don't have a lot of information about that church. Um, We read about it in Revelation in in the first couple of chapters, but that's about it. But then this is actually important. He says something else. What does he say? The third group of people. Those who have not seen me face to face. Now, why is this so important? Well, this seems interesting, right? But I do think it's something worth noting, and I think it's a good reminder. Um, This is going to be a no-brainer, but track with me. In this day, email did not exist, right? Okay, that seems like a no-brainer, right? This was 2,000 years ago. Email was not that, that that long ago for us. We're so used to it. But I think this is important. When we want to send a message, we can send it like that, right? Like you were probably, somebody in this room or in another campus probably texted somebody hoping to hear back, where am I going to lunch today? 
right? That's normal. We're used to the immediacy of sending a message and it going directly to who we want it to go to. Um, However, for Paul, that's not norm. In fact, when a letter was written, when any of his books, like Colossians, which was a letter to the church, it would be hand-delivered by somebody. And it would take a while to actually get there. And not only would it take a while, the letter would go on a journey, right? And it was very normal for others to read the letter. In fact, Paul knew this. Um, That's why in some ways, I think it's kind of cool that he is saying, I'm writing this to pay those in Colossae, also those in Laodicea, and those who have not seen me face to face. So what what is he trying to say? I think what Paul is trying to say is this. The truth of what I'm about to say in the rest of this letter is for all believers, not just the church in Colossae. The truth I'm about to say is for all believers, whether you're in Laodicea, Antioch, Corinth, West Dallas, Milwaukee proper, Sherman, Tosa, Eastside, this truth rings true. So what is this truth? What is it that he's gonna say is true for all believers? Well, look back at verse two. What does Paul want them to know? He wants their hearts to be encouraged, that they're knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, let's break this verse down, right? There's three things going on here. Let's start with the phrase that their hearts may be encouraged. Um, The word here for heart is actually referring to the whole being of person. When we use the word heart today, we're talking a lot of times about the emotional state, right? This is from my heart. In this day, when you said heart, it meant all that you are, mind, body, soul, everything, emotional states. So he's saying with all that you are, um, he says, be encouraged, Um, or I like it this way, be focused. Like when you're encouraging somebody, what are you doing? You're asking them to focus in on something, right? I encourage you to do something. So verse one, that first phrase, I think is saying it this way, with all that you are, your mind, soul, emotions, actions, Everything you are, I want you focused on this. That's what he's saying. And what does he want them to focus in on? Well, I think that's what the rest of the verse says. And the first thing is this. He wants them focused on being knit together in love. Be knit together in love. It's kind of a cool word picture, right? This idea of being knit together, it's kind of like crochet or being interwoven um, in the love that they have for each other. But this does beg the question, what kind of love is Paul talking about here? What kind of love is he talking about? When I say the word love, it seems simple at first glance, right? It seems kind of simple. We know what that is. But it, love actually has a wide range of meanings. Um, there's different kinds of love. There's the intense affection I have for somebody. Like, I love my brother, Right? Um, There's also the attraction or romantic, like, I love my wife. She's right over here, right? Those are different. There's also the personal attachment. Football has always been my first love. Go, Pat, go, right? That's there. There's also a strong liking. I love me some wings. It also means scoreless in tennis, all right? So what kind of love are we talking about here? Right? If he's saying be knit together in this, I think it's important to know what kind of love is Paul talking about. Well, the type of love that Paul is talking about is this word in the Greek called agape. 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 All right, I know you want to say it with me. All right, so say it with me. Here you go. One, two, three. Agape. Well done. All right. All right. So what is agape? Well, D.A. Carson, who's a famous theologian and speaker, he actually, he gives this definition. He says agape is 
denoting a self-sacrificing commitment to one another's good. Agape is denoting a self-sacrificing commitment to one another's good. Another way of saying it, it's willing to do whatever it takes for someone else's benefit. And I would argue it's actually for both people. It's not just for the other person, it's not just for you, it's actually for both. It's saying, I'm going to commit to being there no matter what. That's what agape is. Um, Carson actually continues to describe agape and he describes it this way. Um, Agape has no necessary emotional components precisely because it is a primary act of will. I think that phrase is important. We're going to come back in a second. Such love can be demanded of people. We are commanded to love. We are obliged to seek their good, even if we frankly dislike them. I think this is important. He's not saying that agape has no emotional state. Let me be clear. He's saying it doesn't need it. Rather, what he's saying is this type of love is an act of choice, right? It's primarily an act of will. I think this is incredibly important, right? This is actually the same type of love that's described that Christ has for us. He chooses to love us and do what's best for us. That's actually what the cross is, right? That's him coming down to this world and be willing to self-sacrifice so for our good so that we can have a restored relationship with him. This is also actually the same type of love that's talked about that a marriage should have. Uh, Let me say this. I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I would argue that the love that we're supposed to have in a marriage isn't always based on emotion. Rather, it's a choice. Look, my wife and I, we may not always agree. (laughs) We may not always see eye to eye on every issue. She's a Bengals fan. I'm a Packers fan. We're still working through it, okay? Uh, When times are tough and ideas come against us, though, this is what agape looks like. We commit to one another's good. That's the kind of love he's saying have for one another. Remember, in this passage, Paul is trying to encourage those who read this letter. And I think what he's trying to do is like, have you ever felt the opposite? What is the opposite of encouraged? It's discouraged, right? What would a discouraged love look like? I think in this situation, it would look like this. Division, disunity. It would look, it would look like I'm not willing to get past my own desires and I'm going to go after what I want. I don't care about you. And what Paul is saying is, that's not it. (laughs) Rather, he's saying, be knit together in a self-sacrificing love for one another and commit to each other's good. Commit to each other's good. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of struggle, remember, this church is really wrestling through, do we all agree who Jesus is? They've got all these bombardments and other thoughts and ideas being hit at them, and it's starting to cause disunity. And Paul is saying, stop it. (laughs) Remember, commit to each other's good. And then he says, okay, so what kind of good is it? What is the good that you should be chasing after? Well, look at the end of verse two. He says, being knit together in love, what is the, the good? To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So what is the goal of loving each other? What's well, this? <laughs> what is the good that we should be having towards one another? What is the thing that he wants these people to be focused on? I think it's this, that they reach the full assurance and understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The community that they're a part of, this he's saying, be focused on this, that you reach the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the goal 
of agape love for one another. Actually, I would say as a church, this should be our goal, right? When we say we're making more and better disciples, part of being a disciple is knowing and understanding who Jesus is. This is why we actually dive into scripture. Let this be an encouragement to you, actually. When you come to church or you come to small group, there's a hope behind this. There's a desire for you to grow in understanding of who Jesus is. We hope that our small groups have this agape love towards one another, this idea of being self-sacrificing and for another's good. We hope that they aim that they have self-sacrificing community, but we hope that that points to growing in love and understanding of Jesus. I remember years ago, I was talking um, to my neighbor. This is when we lived in Ohio. Um, and when we were living there, I was talking to him and he was like, hey, what are you doing Monday night? I'm like, ah, I can't hang out. I've got, I've got small group. He goes, small group, what is that? He, he didn't grow up in the church, so he didn't know. And I said, I explained to him how every Monday night for an hour or two, we get together, we talk through scripture, hang out with a bunch of other dudes. It's a blast. And he looked at me and goes, every Monday? And I'm like, yeah, every Monday. He goes, wow, they must be your best friends. And I was like, nah. And he looked at me very strange. He didn't quite understand what I was saying. And I went on to explain to him, no, we're not best friends. It's actually something cooler than that. You see, the thing that ties us together, that group, isn't some common interest. It's not some sports or food or anything else. The thing that actually ties us together is Jesus Christ. We center together on spending time growing in knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. Do I love the guys in my group? Absolutely. <laughs> I love them. But what does that love look like? It's committing to their good and my good and growing in knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Look, the thing that holds us together, the thing that holds your small group together, the thing that holds us together as a church isn't some common interest. It's not some hobby or like of a food or whatever. It's Jesus. It's what he has done. It's who he is. And it's that commitment that we have towards one another in growing in the fullness. This is the thing that unites us. Let me ask you this. When you go to small group, do you view those at group as your siblings? Do you view them as family? Do you see them as people that you want to commit to them growing and understanding? And do you want to grow in understanding? Are you committing to loving one another so that you can grow? Hear me, I think this is why it's so important in small group, it's a place where we can ask questions. Right? I, I say this routinely in the group I'm a part of. There's no such thing as a dumb question. The dumbest question is the one not asked because odds are someone else has it too. If we're gonna grow in understanding, we need a place where we can come together in community, commit to growing in understanding, and do we view others in group that way? Maybe you're not in group, but let me ask you this. Are you committed to loving one another here at church so that we can grow in understanding of Christ? One way we commit so we show up, as plain and simple as that is. Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering with one another. The reason we're doing name tag Sunday is actually so that we can grow in community. It's hard to grow in community if you don't know someone's name, right? That's, that's why we're doing this, it's a focus. This is what Paul, Paul is saying, not only should you be committed to each other, but the outcome or the goal of community is that you be fully committed in growing to know Jesus. This is what I think Paul's getting at. He's saying this, believers, be knit together in sacrificial love for one another in order that you may remain focused on Christ 
and grow in understanding and knowledge of him. This is what I think Paul's saying in this verse. This is what he's laboring for. And what does he want? He wants all believers to know this is your goal and your purpose in community. And then he says, well, be focused on that reason. Be focused on like in this purpose and reason. What is the reason we should do this? He actually says this in verse three. He says this reason is found in Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So why do we grow in understanding of Christ? Why do we grow in understanding? Or why do we go to Christ is probably a better way to say it. It's because in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, this idea of hidden is not like hide and seek, all right? I've got a seven to five and a two-year-old right now at the house. They love to play hide and seek, all right? That's not what's being talked about here. God isn't playing a game with you saying, come find me. No, he's accessible at any time. Jesus has even says, come to me. Jesus is very accessible. So if that's not the idea here, then what is it? I would say this, Christ within Christ is stored all wisdom and knowledge. Within Christ, all wisdom and knowledge is stored. All right, track with me for a second. Um, Paul is saying all wisdom and knowledge of God is found in Jesus. Jesus isn't hiding from you. He's available. And when we go to him, we have access to all the wisdom and knowledge he has to offer. Um, Think of it this way. My money is hidden in the bank. Right? That doesn't mean that I have to play hide and seek to find it. At least I hope I don't. Um, No, I know where it is. I have an app on my phone that I can access it whenever I want. I have direct access to it. And in order to access that money physically, all I need to do is actually go to that bank, right? That's what Paul is saying here. The treasures and wisdom and knowledge of God is found and stored in Jesus. That's where it's found. This is why we spend so much time actually diving into God's word. This is why our small groups are based on scripture. This is why we preach Jesus. This is why if you meet with anyone on staff, we're gonna go to the word of God. Why? Because this is where everything is found, in Christ. This is what Paul is hoping for the church, that they are reminded where they can go to find truth. I want you to look up here for a second. I want you to be very clear. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this. The point of following Jesus is not to get fire insurance. The point of following Jesus is not just to get out of hell. The point of following Jesus is to grow in knowledge and understanding of who he is. The point of following Jesus is to grow in understanding of who he is. Why? Because as we grow in understanding of who he is, it influences who we become. As we grow in understanding, if I learn more about who he is, it's going to make me grow to become more like him. The goal is not to avoid hell. That's a perk. (laughs) It's important. But the goal is to grow to become more like him. I remember years ago, I had a mentor. He asked me this question. Tommy, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And simple question, right? I have a master's degree. Like I I got, I know the right answers. And I gave him the very textbook answer. I started walking through everything. And he looked at me and he said, well done, you passed the test. Then he asked me another question. Who does Jesus want you to be? And I gotta be honest, in that moment, I wasn't sure how to answer it. I kind of sat there and go, I'm not really sure. I feel like I shouldn't know it. And then he, in his wisdom, he looked at me and asked the same question he asked first. Tommy, who is Jesus? You see, it hit me in that moment. Jesus wants me to become more like him. 
He wants me to grow in character. He wants as I understand more of who he is, that he's love, patient, kind, slow to anger. He hates sin and its effect on us. That it doesn't just sit in my mind as some facts to pass a test. No, he hopes that it translates to show the type of person he wants me to become. This is what Paul is saying. Seek after Christ, but don't just know him. Let that change who you are. He will show you the type of person he wants to become, and it's going to influence the type of character you have. And the more we learn about who Christ is, I think that actually helps define what our mission and purpose in life is. And I also think knowing who Jesus is helps us recognize what Jesus is not. Paul actually says this. Look at verse 4. What does he say? I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. What is he saying here? Well, Paul is saying the reason that I'm reminding you who Jesus is, the reason I'm telling you to stay so focused on knowing, understanding Christ is so that you don't become deluded with plausible arguments. Deluded simply here means deceived. And plausible arguments are simply ideas or thoughts that at first glance sound legitimate, but in reality are not. So in other words, Paul is saying, don't be deceived with illegitimate arguments. Or don't be deceived with a fake Jesus. Now, this seems a little out of place, right? I remember when I was first reading this passage, verse four seems like a hard turn. And actually it is. It's the pivot point of the book. He's switching from going, here is who Jesus is. Here's what you should do. And now he's gonna spend a lot of the rest of the book diving into what are these plausible arguments. But, but why is he actually saying this? Why is he saying, don't be deceived? How does this fit? The more I study this passage, the more I think this is brilliant. Let me ask you a question. How do you tell if something is real or fake? How do you tell if something is fake or real? What tactics would you use? Let me put it another way. If I were to give you a diamond right now, which some of you were like, all of a sudden you perked up, right? If I were to give you a diamond right now, how could you tell whether or not it's real? How could you tell? Odds are most of us probably couldn't, right? I know I couldn't. When I bought my wife's ring years ago, I had to trust the jeweler that he put a real diamond in it, which by the way, it is real, I promise you, okay? Um, <laughs> I had to trust him. But, but seriously, how do I tell if it's real? Well, I think there's two ways that you can tell. First, you go to an expert, right? You go to an expert. You would go to an expert to hear what they have to say about it. They know what to look for. They can tell you about the cut. The carrot, the clarity. Can you tell that I've been to a jeweler? Uh, They can tell you about those things and they can quickly legitimize whether or not this rock is real. Now that's the first way you could tell, but let's say you can't go to an expert. How would you tell? How would you tell? Well, what you would do is if you had access, you would compare it to a real diamond. If you could, you'd want to take a real diamond and set it side by side with the rock you were given and you'd want to compare to see how does this measure up? This is actually what a jeweler would do in order to tell if the diamond is real or not. They study real ones in order to know what makes them real. Actually, this is true of any counterfeiting research. Um, Maybe it's not a diamond, but anybody who studies whether or not something is real, the expert will tell you, don't study the fakes. Study the real thing. Why? Because the more you spend time with the real thing, the easier to tell when something is not measuring up. That's what Paul is saying. The more you spend time understanding and knowing that the real Jesus, the more you're gonna tell what's fake. 
That's what he means when he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul is saying when ideas and thoughts are brought to the table that sound good, you should know Jesus so well, the real Jesus so well, and have grown an understanding and knowledge of him that you can tell real quick that that ain't it. This is why we're committed to the teaching of scripture and the real Jesus. We wanna know the truth so we are not persuaded by the things the world tells us. And over the years, I've heard some of these plausible arguments. I've heard some of these. I've heard things like, you need to go to church where everyone looks, acts, and smells just like you. All right? And is that true? I don't even know. <laughs> you see, what I love about coming to church is you could come and you could sit from everywhere from the far left to the far right politically. You could come and there's a homeless person sitting next to a CEO. There's even Bears fans sitting next to Packers fans. But what's beautiful is the, the, re, the thing that ties us together, and I've said this over and over again, the truth, man, actually in our diversity, Jesus makes so much more sense. As, we, as in our differences, we bring different perspectives and thoughts in our life of the way God has worked through us, that when we come together, I don't need you to agree with me on every issue, but we need to agree on who the real Jesus is. That's what it means to that. That's one of plausible arguments. Another one I've heard, and actually we've talked about this before. Frank talked about this in the opening week. He said the few of the plausible arguments that you hear that can seep into the church are things like the prosperity gospel. Or another way of saying it, if I have enough faith, God will bless me physically. That's not found in scripture. Actually, he says when you have faith, you're going to suffer. That doesn't sound like prosperity kind of is though. That's a whole nother rabbit trail. We can go down another day. <laughs> another one that he talked about is nationalism. In other words, I'm a Christ follower because of my political aff- um, affiliation. That's not it either. You can be on the far left and the far right and still follow Jesus. Now, are there things that you need to grow in and understanding and we need to let him decide the truth over our political agendas? Of course. But that's what I mean. If we let our political affiliation become more important than our following Christ, that's when we have an issue. Or another one that he talked about was individualism. The only thing that matters is my relationship with Jesus. I'm here to get what I need. That's it. I don't care about anybody else. You can tell Paul's talked a lot about community already, right? Community matters because Christianity was not designed to only be a solo man sport. It was actually designed for us to grow together in relationship and to help us grow to be more like him. Look, there's a lot of other plausible arguments that are out there. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but this is why we must study who the real Jesus is. This is why we need to grow an understanding of knowledge of who he is, because the more we know who he is, the more these plausible arguments, we look at him and go, man, that just doesn't sit right. That's not the real Jesus. But that begs the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? A few weeks ago, I actually asked you this question. I asked you to fill in the blank. Jesus is, and I asked you to fill this blank in. I don't know if you remember this, and if you don't, don't worry. A few weeks ago, this is how we start off a sermon. And in case you missed it, what I said is Paul actually answers this question. Paul actually answers this. What does he say? He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is the question to what if God became a real human being? He was the firstborn over all creation. Or another way of saying it, he has authority over everything. Who is Jesus? He's the firstborn of the dead. Because he rose from the dead, he has the authority over death itself. And in everything, he is preeminent, or he's the first in all things. 
Man, when we grow in understanding of who Jesus is, that list should get longer. My hope is that if you go back to that list, even this week, and you compare it to what you wrote down, that your list is growing a little bit more in understanding that he is love and kind and patient and merciful and gracious and slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love, and yet he loves us so much that he hates sin and its effect on us. But our growth in knowledge and understanding shouldn't just sit here. It should actually lead to something. That's what verse five tells us. He finishes off the section by saying, for though I'm absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing. And this is what our growth and understanding of Jesus should lead to, to your good order and firmness in your faith of Jesus Christ. So your growth and understanding of Jesus and not being deceived by, another, by other non-gospel ideas should lead us, as we grow to be more like him, to live in good order or to live life God's way and to be built upon Jesus. Now, next week, we're gonna talk about what does it mean to be built up on Jesus. I'm not gonna steal the thunder of next week, all right? I wanted to so desperately. Sometimes when we preach and we say, here's your last verse, just to open up, it's hard because we wanna keep going, all right? And this week we can't, but let me give you a little taste of it. Paul is going to say, what does it look like to live your faith based on Christ? And he's to say, it's actually being rooted and built up in Jesus. Now, if you wanna know more about that, come back next week, all right? Shameless plug, even to you guys at other campuses, come back next week, all right? And all I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say this. Don't let studying Jesus be the only thing you do. Don't let studying Jesus be the only thing you do. Let that understanding play out in how you live. As you grow more about, learn about Christ and who he is, let that be the way you live as well. Jesus is not a textbook. He's real. He's alive today. He's with us. And he wants you to grow in understanding so that it shows up in the type of person you're becoming. Christ I study is love. Do I love people the way he loved? Jesus feasted with people. In other words, he spent time getting to know them and being community and growing with them. Do I spend time enjoying community with others? Jesus prayed to his father in solitude. Do I do that? Jesus is loving, gracious, compassionate. Am I starting to have those characteristics show up in me and treat those around me that way? You see, I think how we view Jesus should and will impact how we live. And Paul believes that too. So I want to leave you today. There's a lot of stuff in here. I want to leave you with three kind of practical encouragements. Three practical encouragements of what it looks like to live life this way. The first is this. Grow in understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. Grow in understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. Things like read scripture. If you don't know where to read scripture and grow in it, I would say go to the book of John. It's one of the gospels in the New Testament. It's a great place to start. It's going to talk a lot about who Jesus is. Um, be in prayer. <laughs> Be in prayer, spend time in community. Prayer is literally our communication tool with God where we can speak directly to him. And he wants to hear from you. Maybe you want some other resources outside of scripture to continue to grow in understanding. On the hub, the hub.epicos.org, under sermon resources, there are three books that I think are great in understanding more. So if you want to grow in understanding, and the three books, two of them are written by Tim Keller. One of them is called Jesus the King, in which is diving to what is the cross and why is it important. Um, another one is called Prodigal God, it's actually taking one of the stories Jesus told and saying, so what does this say about God himself, the prodigal son? You can find these, like I said, on the Hub um, Sermon Resources. And the other one is one of my favorite books. It's called God Has a Name by John Mark Comer. And this book itself actually dives into the question, who is God for real? And he walks through piece by piece through the characteristics of God. So grow in understanding of Christ. 
The other way I would say is like, um, be in community with other believers. Be in community with other believers. We should be in community not just because it's the right thing to do or because I need friends, right? Actually, the reason, we've talked about this, the reason we do this is to grow in understanding of Christ. And the third thing I would say this, be encouraged. (laughs) Be encouraged. Growing in knowledge and understanding of Jesus is a lifelong pursuit. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. I've been following Jesus for over 20 years. And as I continue to grow in understanding of him, every day I'm learning something new. Some days it's a lot, other days it's a little bit. But grow in understanding and be encouraged. Don't let the differences between us divide us. Rather, let Christ unify us. That's what brings us together. Four, four, one church in four locations, we're all centered on one thing, Jesus Christ. This is my encouragement for you today, and I think this is Paul's encouragement today. Be rooted and built up on who Jesus is so that we continue to grow in knowledge and understanding of him. Let's pray. Father, you are a God that loves us. Christ, you love us so much that you desire for us to know you. You do. You want us to know you and grow in understanding and knowledge of you, not just for some we're smarter than other people out there, but as we grow in understanding of you, that you change us into being more of who you want us to be. And God, as we grow in understanding of you, let us also be a part of your mission to love you, to love those around us and make disciples of the world. God, I thank you so much for making yourself known that we have access to all knowledge and all wisdom through you. And so God, I just pray as we continue to seek scripture that you give us the encouragement knowing that you are good and that you want us to be together so we can continue to grow into who you want us to be, which is more like your son. We love you and thank you for all that you are. And it's in your name we pray.